It is always the perfect way to make our way into a Friday afternoon. Dennis Stewart is here. Good afternoon, Dennis, to Good you. Good afternoon, Mark. Now, look, we'll be getting philosophical a little bit we later. Will. A little bit, a little bit. A little bit. Not political, just for philosophical. Philosophical. Sometimes you can't differentiate the two. <laughs> <laughs> You're stuck with me, right? Are we looking back at uh, your love affair with herbs today? Yeah, look, I want to look at some of the high and interesting points of my career. And, and uh, listeners will be very interested to uh, learn of some of the things that I want to bring them. But we always favour the board and there are a number of people that uh, want to talk. So we'll talk to the listeners first before we philosophize. All right, we will. And uh, Dennis, in your notes today, you wanted me to point out it's the final stage of your career, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, Plenty of time to go, mate. Oh, yeah. Dennis, uh, getting ready to fire up the conversation today, mate? We are indeed. All right. G'day, George at New Lambton. COPD is on your mind today. Yes, Dennis. I saw it on the computer last night. Yes. I've got COPD. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. and, And on there it said about... Alcohol, mm-hmm. but you and I only have one <clears throat> cup of red wine of a night. So, is that going to affect it, Dennis? Well, look, you would uh, would know that I have uh, great regard for the Bible, and there's a verse in the Bible that says, "A little wine for the stomach's sake." So, I would not in any way at all incriminate um, a glass of red wine as complicating or interfering with COPD. In fact. It may, um, by virtue of it containing a substance called resveratrol, be of some help. So I, like you, enjoy a glass of uh, red wine. Of course, it has to be good red wine. And the darker it is, the better it is, a Shiraz or a Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, so I, I would not read too much into that, George. That would be my feeling. Right, won't hold you up any longer. I can still have my red wine. Thanks a lot, Dennis. Bye. Okay, George. <laughs> I think I think he's got the, the bottle opener in hand, Dennis. He, he, might, he might have been wanting me to encourage more than one glass of wine. Yeah. I dare not do that on radio. No, no. Obviously, everything in moderation <laughs> and um, a thought there as well. All right, Dennis, uh, like you said, you wanted to get a little bit philosophical today. Yep. And, um, you know, your, your love affair with herbs over time, uh, yeah. it's been the bulk of you, a lot of your career. 40 years. 40 years. Mm. Uh, Where are we heading with this? Look, it's fair to say that uh, one's uh, professional life has to be uh, uh, coming to an end, and uh, I'm not saying tomorrow, but there is a time coming. Well, I've cancelled in 2030 for you. I thought thought it might be interesting for listeners to know of some of the uh, landmark things that happened during my transit in the herbal medicine profession. One of the great things is associated with this university. Um, Listeners may or may not know that the University of Newcastle, as far as I'm aware, was the first university on the Arimbit campus where it was held to establish a Bachelor of Herbal Therapies degree. And I was uh, privileged to participate with two other professors from this university, one of whom was Uh, a retired uh, physicist, and the other one was still an active academic. And the three of us uh, came together and established the curriculum and the course, which was taught by one of my graduates, Andrew Pengelly, who subsequently went on to do a PhD from this university. And we graduated the first group of herbal medicine uh, graduates uh, with a university degree. Now, that was a landmark 
thing that happened within the university. Um, I consider it to be a, a high point of my career, the steering through with the other two uh, academics, that program which uh, climaxed with the graduation of a group that uh, went on uh, to use the degree in their herbal medicine pursuit. So that was a big thing. I, I would imagine, Dennis, that when whenever you're in a situation where you've got all this knowledge mm. and, you, and you, you're working through your life and then you've got the opportunity to, to pass that on, mm. just go, okay, well, here's what I know. I see the value in this. Mm. And you've got other people that come on board and go, you know what, I, I want to learn this. Here's the knowledge. Go forth and have your own career. Mm. Look, there's, there's a lot in that, and that's presently uh, the reason why I'm working on uh, my book, which I've been working on for, for quite a few years, but it's uh, reaching finalisation and uh, it's going to be entitled On the Fringe. Wow, okay. Uh, a very interesting title. That's, that's the, how can I call it, the, the, the book that will be released for, for the <laughs> public, but then I'm also working on a textbook which puts together, finally, my formulations that are the climax of 40 years of drawing on herbs to help people with disease problems. So a very interesting phase. So I've absolutely first I've heard of the book, by the way. Um, it's not out yet. Um, I what I want to see you do on the front cover, obviously with the title, there'll be a, a modern picture of you that'll be all done oh, up for. Best no, not. No, hang on, hang on, hang on. On the back, yes. a picture of you in your uh, in your youth. Oh dear! So we can sort that, of compare that. That may be very problematical because my youth was rather wild. <laughs> but that's the cool thing because on the front, oh yes, there's Dennis Stewart, the guy that we know, and he does the herbs yeah, and all uh, the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. On the back, wow, you know, and I'm surely there'll be some photographs interspersed as well. And look, it it was a very good transit from the era of the counterculture, so to speak, right up to where we are today. And I've been greatly privileged, Mark, to participate in 40 years of seeing herbs emerge as a counterculture thing into part of mainstream medicine, whether or not some out there would still like to see it suppressed and still consider it to be marginal, uh, still consider it to be so-called unscientific. Uh, herbal medicine is here, and it, in my opinion, it is most unlikely to be suppressed despite the, the latent antagonism towards herbal medicine that exists in some some academic and medical circles. All right, well, we'll come back with a little bit more of Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart, a little bit more philosophy and uh, maybe some of the pictures that will be in that book uh, down the road as well. If Dennis Stewart is here as we continue with Health Naturally. Dennis, I want to just circle back to a couple of things that you were talking mm. about a little while ago. Um, we had George with us talking COPD. Mm. Is there anything that sits within the realm of, of herbal medicine that may potentially be of some benefit for those in the, with, with that? Chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder or disease. Look, it's a chronic condition that rightly uh, requires to be managed by mainstream medicine and um, specialists even in that area. An approach that complementary medicine might make to this condition to help the individual perhaps experience this disease uh, more successfully is fairly simply based. And I'll give people that have chronic pulmonary disorders a few clues here of things that they can do which are most unlikely to clash with anything that might be being done for them, whether or not uh, their medical managers have them on steroids, 
bronchodilatory medication or whatever. A couple of little points. I believe very, very strongly that uh, the role of what are called warming herbs, warming in inverted commas, uh, is an important potential for helping people with any chronic respiratory condition. Now, you might say, Mark, what is a warming herb? Uh, that was going to be yeah, my okay, next point, actually, because okay. we're not talking a warm <laughs> pot of tea, are we? No. Warming, herbs, warming herbs have been looked at uh, over the years by writers, even from the medical profession, uh, on pulmonary disorders. Warming herbs are herbs like ginger, uh, cayenne. Those two particularly are best representatives of what we call warming herbs. And when they are used consistently, particularly, say, in an encapsulated form, ginger in particular, the idea is that they have what's called a bronchomucotropic and a bronchomucolytic action on, on the lung. That means they, by improvement in the whole experience of, of blood flow to the, the compromised organ, the warming potential that they have on blood flow, on leukocyte activity, uh, create a better, a more environmentally uh, successful way, particularly of ensuring that uh, build-up of mucus, and that's an important point, the build-up of mucus uh, is counteracted to a degree by taking in herbs or supplements whose consequence is a sense of warmth or heat throughout the body, which reflects itself respiratorily in a way that encourages better expectoration, better drainage of mucus from the lung, and as a result of that contributes uh, to less infection. So my advice to start with for people with any chronic respiratory condition is to appreciate the role of so-called warming herbs. I have a paper which I've used for years in lectures written by a, a chap who noticed that in uh, Southeast Asia and, and Asia generally, uh, people tend to smoke a lot more, and yet the incidence of bronchial disorders, so he claimed, uh, and this gentleman worked for the World, the World Health Organization, the incidence of, of uh, respiratory infection and chronic respiratory disorders was less. I noticed in Japan when I was there um, that the, the, there was a, a, a pile of smog over the place, let alone um, the observation of the rate at which people were smoking. Now, the, th the theory put forward here is, and I'm not, by the way, defending smoking anyway, far from it, but the theory was that the food that is characteristic of that culture always involves very hot or warming herbs, and that contributed, so it was claimed, to this benefit that those substances had on promoting respiratory health. Right, just, Dennis, just a couple of examples yeah. once again for, of those warming-type herbs. Yeah. The two that are probably best and most easily accessed would be ginger and cayenne. Cayenne tends to be a little bit challenging for some people, <laughs> although it's not to me, mm. um, but ginger is a very useful secondary remedy, and in an encapsulated form, or in using it as ginger tea, it contributes this benefit that's referred to as bronchomucotropic or bronchomucolytic. Um, so I would suggest that uh, listeners with chronic pulmonary disorders think about a regular use of, say, a capsule of ginger, or if they can tolerate it, 
a capsule of KE it as a means of promoting, if you like, better drainage and expectoration and less build-up of mucus in, in the lung. Now, there's only one uh, factor. I also strongly recommend, as listeners would expect me to, uh, to recommend that where there is a background of infection, uh, chronic recurring infection, as far as I'm concerned, the American herb, uh, Echinacea, or any one of the three species, is a useful device to build the immune system's response to recurrent infections. Any herbalist trained in the Western tradition would appreciate the virtue of echinacea as an ongoing supplement to help a counteract infection by harnessing the body's immune system to a better response and to lessen the likelihood of, of infection. So a warming herb, some echinacea, and also don't overlook one of the old favourites that used to be popularly prescribed generations ago by mainstream doctors, and that is uh, the, the use of cod liver oil. Good afternoon, Wendy at Seaham. Uh, we're looking for uh, some help for hubby today. Uh, yes, uh, my husband's got pancreatic cancer and he's having a lot of problems digesting food. And I just wondered if there was some herbal teas or something that he could take after he has a meal that would assist in his digest, digesting that food, yeah. Has your husband had a Whipple's procedure or anything like that, Wendy? No, he hasn't. Okay. He couldn't. It was too advanced, okay. so he's, he's yeah. having chemotherapy. Okay. Look, anything I recommend, obviously, it would only make a, a minimal contribution, but hopefully it can help him. But uh, what I recommend, to be fair, should be run past his medical managers. It's unlikely that uh, this would clash with anything that um, they would be prescribing, but it's always courteous when someone is having uh, a medical treatment um, to let the uh, management know what he may or may not be I know, doing. Of course, of course. Okay. yes, of Look, course. Two, two things that, that may be of help here. Um, the first thing is this, that very bitter-tasting herbs have always yes. been seen to be the backbone of the Western herbal medicine tradition for improving uh, overall digestive activity. Now, how they do it is is in multiple ways. It's it's no one directional process, but the bitter taste, right. the bitter taste, has mm -hmm. a, an understandable effect on every aspect of the digestive system, both from the from the stomach down through to, to the liver, um, through to the intestinal tract. Uh, so one of the things that I would suggest is that you uh, look for something that is a, a bitter tea, something as simple as, say, uh, dandelion. Now, right. dandelion is a very bitter herb, but that's its virtue, and that's why okay. it's frequently prescribed um, for the the whole liver biliary activity. Uh, so any any bitter-tasting herb, dandelion being a useful starting base, right. but, but also don't over, overlook... The, the, the way in which in, in European uh, medicine, mainstream and natural, the herb chamomile is seen as having an overall benefit on every right. aspect of digestive activity. If you, oh, okay. if you were to go to your pharmacy, I think you'll find that there, there is a European um, medicine in pharmacy that contains a number of herbs, one of which is inevitably chamomile. So I would think that chamomile 
and 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 dandelion uh, as two herbal teas or two herbal preparations may be of use in in helping his digestive process. The second thing that I would say is is from a digestive perspective, uh, run past his medical managers the uh, the potential or their willingness to see your husband go on to a, a preparation of a digestive enzyme. I, I read, I, I did some research yes. on the internet and yes. I saw that, but I, um, it was on a, an American website and yes. I wondered whether you could do that here in Australia, but there, okay. there is something yes. that, that, yeah. Well, I, look, I don't think there'd be any offence um, from his medical managers if you were to mention what right. I have said. Uh, okay. I have some information back at my rooms in New Lambton on bitter principles. If you right. if you uh, contact that place, I'll happily send out an article on bitter herbs and the effect that they have on the digestive tract and run past your medical people the potential associated with, with a digestive enzyme taken subsequent to his meal. Uh, look, that's fabulous. Thank you so much for your help, and I will contact your surgery to get okay. that information, Dennis. Okay. Thank all you the, very all, much. All the best, Wendy. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, thank you so much for that, Wendy, and uh, the best of luck with everything. Mm. Look, Dennis, some questions to be answered are, are fairly simple. Take this and, and away mm. you go three times a day with a spoonful mm. of sugar, and mm. and some are a lot more complex, as yeah. we heard with Wendy. Yeah, well, if and, and the suggestions that I was making there, are very, uh, in my opinion, very safe. But again, because of the serious nature of her husband's condition, the right thing, let me emphasise this, the right thing is to ensure that those that are his primary health care managers are aware of what he would like to do. And that's why I've offered to send Wendy um, some information, quite free of charge, of course, on what bitter-tasting herbs have for the digestive tract. Um, Dennis, just to go back mm. on, pretty much to go back to where we started, yeah. I know we have got a bit of time left yeah, and yeah. some more calls coming through we'll get to, but um, you've mentioned that in the past there has still been a lot of significant opposition, a lot of resistance, if you will, mm. to herbal medicine being a part of the solution. Mm. Um, do you find that that is still very much the case? Have we got better, worse, about the same with that as you've moved through your career? Oh, I would have liked to have thought at the end of... 40 years of practicing. No, 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 not the end. At this stage <laughs> at, of, at this okay, stage or after 40 of, years. Of practicing, researching and teaching on herbs that um, resistance wasn't as great as what it was when it was um, when I first started. I'm not sure that that is the situation. There, there seems to be a, an assertion of resistance to natural medicine occurring at this stage. Um, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Because what needs to be appreciated is that herbal medicine is not some wacky left-field thing. In most parts of the world, it is part of the medical system. You heard me there, Mark, uh, talk about European or Western herbal medicine. On the continent, for instance, uh, what, I, what we call complementary medicine or natural medicine is part and parcel of the scene. Uh, in France, for instance, homeopathy is, is very, very big as a modality, the most controversial of all uh, modalities. In Germany, herbal medicine is very, very strong to the extent that um, many pharmacies, um, their primary approach to helping people is to offer a, a herbal medicine. Um, I would like to think that in this country, we've got over this attitude that herbal medicine is just wacky. 
to see that um, you know the, the credibility of it is based on the fact that it is over a billion dollar industry in this country and it gets very little support from government. None of us get support uh, from government practicing complementary medicine, but yet people access it. Now, people are not fools. People access complementary or natural medicine because it's helping them. And there's no doubt in my mind, after many years, that herbs are a crucial part of helping people address conditions which, in their opinion, has not been adequately met by the mainstream. Uh, another quick question before we uh, we dip out for a second there, Dennis. Janelle from Waratah West uh, was on the phone a couple of minutes ago yeah. wanting to find out what she could take to build up good bacteria as she's uh, been on antibiotics yeah. for a bacteria she caught from her birds. Yes, um, yes. Now, I, can you have a crack at the name of that? Yeah, that psittacosis. Yes. Of course you knew yeah, it. Yeah. What, what can we help out with for Janelle there? Just uh, how are you, Janelle? Oh, no, she's, she's not oh, with us anymore. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, she, she's dipped okay. out. Yeah. Look, this psittacosis is is a problem that many bird keepers don't realise. Um, I used to breed birds very successfully, and, and one uh, bird that I used to breed a lot was the goulian. And we had a, a large number of goulians, um, and we bred them uh, in accordance with the European way of breeding goulians, that is, in a confined um, cabinet type of situation. But we en ended up um, departing from it because um, of my awareness that unless the environment in which one is, is raising birds is well ventilated and air that's well, well filtered, one does run the risk of picking up this condition and which can be then very, very troublesome and mm -hmm. difficult to load or offload. Uh, if this lady has been on antibiotics, uh, she probably still is on antibiotics, I would be suggesting uh, and before she uh, accepts what I'm going to say, she should run it past those that are treating her because sometimes antibiotics do clash with uh, complementary medicines. But I would be saying again, as I said to the uh, previous gentleman who had COPD, look at herbs, for instance, like echinacea. And there is a, a herb that in the past has very frequently been prescribed with echinacea it again is a European herb called elecampane. I'll spell it for you, E-L-E-C-A-M-P-A-N-E, elecampane. Those two herbs in our tradition frequently come together to provide improvement in resistance to infection in the bronchial system. So those two herbs I would see as being very, very useful. Um, I would also fall back on what I said earlier, the, the idea of promoting drainage in a healthy way, uh, using warming herbs and keeping the congestion in the lung at bay with warming herbs should also be taken on board. A couple of things there. Hopefully all the best, Janelle. And Dennis, mm. just a, a more broadly on that the yeah. topic of birds, you mentioned mm. you know, well-ventilated yeah. is best. Do we find, is there a large amount of people that can, that generally speaking, do end up with problems by having birds or is it just those few occasions? That... Yeah, look, I haven't, I, I um, as a young man particularly, uh, moved amongst a lot of uh, bird breeders in this town. We had a very strong um, finch society and bird breeding community and was a great pastime. And I took many prizes um, in, in, in showing my finches. One was a, a magnificent Bengalese finch, which stormed the show. But look, I didn't see too much of it, but no. it is there. 
And once it is there, it can be very, very troublesome and creates breathlessness, uh, ongoing infection. Um, and that's why I give the warning. Anyone that's keeping birds, make sure that you are aware that uh, being in a, an unventilated or unclean environment can lead to infection, which can be difficult in throwing it off. Quick question from John at Raymond Terrace. He rang up a couple of minutes ago to say hi. And the best time to take warming herbs before or after meals, your advice for John? I would suggest, John, in order to get into regularity, that you take your herb, cayenne or ginger, preferably in a capsule form, say with your meal, in conjunction with your meal, because those herbs also have a useful effect on the gut wall to promote a healthier uh, digestive activity in in the stomach. So I'd suggest take it before or during, but at the end it really doesn't matter that much. It's just that taking it in the context of the meal at the beginning of the meal, you may get enhanced digestive activity with them. All right, thanks for that. Uh, best of luck and uh, happy eating for you, John. Pereira at Fletcher, you have a question for Dennis today. No, we're going to need you to uh, turn the radio off in the background, uh, Pereira. Yes. Actually, we're not going to be able to get to that. That's just the, the quality is very, very ordinary there. So I'm uh, really sorry. But the question, uh, Dennis, you may be able to answer yes. there for. Uh, the question has been asked, what is the difference between herbal and Ayurvedic medicine? Well, the, to start with, Ayurvedic medicine is heavily based on the use of herbs. But Ayurvedic medicine is the medicine of South Asia. In other words, it is of Indian origin and it is prescribed uh, along different lines to that of Western herbalism. When we talk about herbalism, we're mainly talking about Western herbalism, which is that which is practiced in England, uh, on the continent, in European society, where there's a well-known spectrum of herbs uh, and where increasingly the herb is prescribed according to its its chemistry and understanding. In Ayurvedic medicine, uh, herbs tend to be of a different uh, group uh, and are prescribed with a different philosophy. I know considerable about uh, considerable knowledge on both uh, systems of herbalism. I have, in fact, lectured and given a one-semester program regularly on Ayurvedic uh, herbal medicine. I may be doing that again sometime. Ayurvedic, the medicine of South Asia, India, Herbalism, Western herbalism, we talk about the herbs of, of the Western world. Thanks very much, Dennis. Mm. A bit, super bit, bit of housekeeping here. Um, we love your calls. We have as many as we can. The earlier up in the hour means we can get to as many because now the, there's about 50,000 phone calls. We have no time left and uh, have the radio turned off in the background and don't have us on speakerphone. Dennis, as always, a fantastic trek through the world of herbal medicine. Yeah. We'll do it all again next week, all right? Thank you very much, Mark. <laughs>